Hey, good morning. Hey, if you're new, I'm Charlie, the lead pastor here. Really glad that you are um, worshiping with us today. Um, it's Sunday after Easter, and um, it's kind of one of the typical day, you know, like uh, kind of relatively low attendance. You know, people, there's this thing out there that people will attend church about every other week, and so we all decided to come last week, and so kind of low today, but not, not for you. Not for you. You're here. And I want you to know, if you're keeping score in your book, get an extra half point today. So you get one and a half points. It's just a, that's really good for you. Um, excited. Uh, here we're, uh, we're starting a new series in James today. It's a, it's a pretty cool book. It's really intense. This guy's an, an, an intense writer and very straightforward in what he has to say. And I think really kind of one of the big picture questions that he's asking or trying to answer for us is, is should a Christian's life look different than a non-Christian's life? You've received Christ, you're now a follower of God. Should your life look different, and, and in what ways? And you know, should someone be able to observe and just, they followed you and your life, be able to say, well, I can tell by the way that you live that you're a follower of Jesus Christ. You know, I, we, we, we wrestle, I think, sometimes with parts of that question, because I think you know, we all wrestle with our own, um, our own flaws, our own failures, and we don't necessarily want to be judged by it. And one of the things that we do, and if you've been around here a while, you know that I like to do this. I like to poke fun at things that Christians make inspirational posters out of, cross stitches, bumper stickers, those kinds of things, all the ways that we publicly embarrass ourselves all the time. And um, th there, there's a couple things that we do. These are, these are kind of prime, prime bumper stickers. And one of the things that we say, we put it on the bumper sticker, be, be patient with me, God isn't finished with me yet. Which I guess is, it's, it's technically true, but it feels to me often that we kind of use that like, like, some, sort of, uh, like some sort of trump card, right? Where it's, where it's like, well, you did, something, you, did something, you did something dumb, boom. Be patient with me, God isn't finished with you. And somehow you give, you give yourself a pass. Another one of these things is, um, you know, Christians aren't perfect, they're just forgiven. Again, I don't know that there's anything, it's true, we are forgiven and we're not, we're not perfect, but I feel again like we use these kinds of things to excuse behavior, to justify the fact that sometimes you do look and you see there doesn't appear to be a real difference between someone who says that they follow Christ and people who don't follow Christ. And you put enough, you know, be patient with me, God's not finished and, and um, not perfect, just forgiven. You put enough of those things together, and what happens is, is that the non-Christians observe all of this, and then they begin to build this case. And they come to this conclusion, and it's a conclusion that I'm sure that you've never heard before. It's a pretty rare thing to hear someone say. But, you know, they'll look at Christians as a whole and the way that they live and the way that they use words like this to justify their behavior, and then they'll look and they'll decide, I don't like church people. I don't want to be a part of them because church is full of, okay, you have heard it. Okay, I, I thought maybe it was, it was unique to me. No, it's something that gets said a lot because I think there is this sense in which we've lost our ability or maybe even our desire to show the world by the way that we live that, that, that who we are is something different and what God has done in us and what is God doing through us is amazing. We've lost this sense in which God has called us to be hope and light to the world. 
And James, very early on here in the history of Christianity, is trying to make sure that, that we know that God has called us to a particular type of life. And that our life are, is supposed to be a light that shines in such a way that people are drawn to it. Now, I was taught this growing up, but I was taught it in a very, in a very narrow sense, that there was this idea that if you, if you live differently, it would be attractive to people, and people would want to know about the life that you have, but it was a very narrow way that it was, it was taught to me. And it was exclusively on the idea of drinking alcohol. So you'll be around all these people, and they're drinking alcohol, and you're not drinking alcohol, and they're going to look at you and go, Whoa, you don't drink alcohol. I want to be like you. Right? Which is, it makes sense maybe, maybe, maybe in youth group. Maybe it makes sense. I don't know. But it's like everybody around you is having a good time, and they're looking at you going, well, you don't seem to be having a good time. I w- how do I not have a good time like you? Right? I, and it, <laughs> now, I, it's, uh, please forgive me. Now, I, I only accept the very narrow point that I'm making. The issue of alcohol is obviously infinitely more complicated than that. And I'm talking about it from their perspective. From their perspective, I don't think that there's anything particularly drawing for the most people. But what are the things that we could show in our lives that actually would work that way? The, The way that you live under these circumstances, the way that you respond to this, the way that you live... It is, it is so attractive to me. It is what I am desperate for. And I think that what James does here is at the very beginning, he gets straight to the heart of the matter. And you'll notice in the book of James, like if, if you've ever read one of Paul's letters, there's like f- five or six verses of kind of flowery intro. He describes, I am Paul, an apostle of Jesus, and grace and peace and joy to you and blessings for everybody and all these different things. And then seven or eight verses later, he gets into it. Like for him, like verse one's like, my name's James. And then he just goes straight into it. And he's talking about how we live under a trial. When life is hard, when life is bad, how do you live? Now you want to talk about something that has the potential to be incredibly attractive to the world. To be able to show and live a hopeful life in the midst of a, what seems like a hopeless situation. To be at peace when everything around you says you, you should be in turmoil, I think that is the kind of thing that has the, 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 the overwhelming potential for impact. And so as he's just trying to jump right in, even before he's really kind of explaining to us what his big picture idea is, he just kind of jumps into this idea about how we as, as, as followers of Christ need to handle ourselves when times get rough. James chapter 1, starting in verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. But let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all that they do. So again, you kind of get just even a little little bit of early flavor of kind of James's kind of in-your-face kind of attitude. 
I mean, he's like, hey, he doesn't say, hey, guys, you know, we ask God, you shouldn't doubt. That's not a good idea. He's like, if you do that, you're like crazy, right? I mean, like you're insane. You're like, you're like you're unstable, and you like got like two voices in your head, which is ridiculous. I mean, he's like, he's got this kind of punchy attitude. And um, so basically he's saying, he's like, if you're going through a trial, what you should do is you, can, you should consider that to be joy when, when you face these trials. Because you know, when you're in a trial, God's going to teach you perseverance. And then if you'll let it, perseverance will ultimately make you mature or complete. You won't lack anything. And if you're having a hard time understanding this, you should totally ask God for wisdom, which he will absolutely do, he'll give you, if... Um, if you don't doubt, because if you doubt, that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make sense to ask somebody for something, no, and then you, at the same time, thinking that you're not going to get it. It doesn't make any sense. He continues on. We'll skip, skip ahead here to verse 12. Again, still talking about trials. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because, having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. So again, real real kind, sweet, gentle words there from James. It's like, hey, you'll be like, hey, some of you think like God's tempting you. That's not where temptation comes from. You know where temptation comes from. It comes from you, like all the evil that's in you. That's where, that's where it comes from. Don't blame God. It's you, evil. Like, oh, thanks. That's sweet. Encourage now. Basically, what he's saying is, he, he just, oh, he's like, you're going to be blessed. If you will persevere under this, it, it, you'll, be, you'll be blessed, and you'll receive this crown of life. And then he goes into this thing. He's like, when you're tempted, don't say God's tempting me. We need to make sure we understand the difference. We're going to look at this a little bit more here in a few minutes. But the difference between a trial and, a, and, and, and temptation. A trial is circumstances get bad. Temptation is, I now, because of the circumstances I am, I am feeling compelled to sin. Uh, God may place a trial in your life, but that's not the same as Him compelling you to sin. The desire and, and the inclination towards sin comes from inside me. Even if the trial is not of my own doing, the desire to sin in the midst of it comes from me. And so we need to make sure we understand that, that difference. And so again, right here from the, he just jumps straight into this, this idea about what sort of attitude and how we should live, how we should respond in the face of difficult circumstances in our life. And just, again, right out of it, first, first real thing, consider it pure joy when you face trials. And so he's making a, he's making a statement here that I guess we're going to have to ultimately decide if we agree with or not about considering a trial to be joyful. And so ultimately what he's saying here is this, is that finding joy in trials is a decision. It's a decision that you make. I'm choosing to find joy here. It is an act of will on, on my part. Now, I want to make sure that you don't hear more than what I'm trying to say. I, d I don't want to overstate this and make you hear something that, that, that I don't believe that James is saying, and I certainly don't believe is true. To be sad when something happens that is sad, it's appropriate to be sad about it. When you lose something, it is appropriate to be sad. That is, that is appropriate. It is an appropriate emotional response. And nowhere in here is there this idea that when, when you lose something, don't be sad. That's not what this is saying. 
It's like in the circumstance that makes you sad, you have a choice to make, is what he's saying. And I also make sure we're not saying this, because there's this, there's this, people say this sometimes, and I don't think they mean it, but it, it gets said, right? Someone is struggling with anxiety, right? Or depression. And you're talking, and you say, hey, you know, I struggle with anxiety and depression. And you say back to them, well, have you considered not doing that? You know, no one would actually phrase it that way, but sometimes it feels like that. It's like, well, maybe you should just not be anxious. Oh, thanks. That's a great word. I'll write that down. Anxiety and depression are something uh, very different, really, than what we're talking about. Really, anxiety and depression often is a result of, of not following this verse in the first place. And once sometimes you can get yourself into a hole that no act of the will by itself is going to be able to get you out of. And if you find yourself in that situation, you should seek, you should seek help and, and, and encouragement from a counselor. But what we're talking about here is you find yourself in a trial. Let's just say it's in the early stages of a trial. And you have a choice to make about what you think about it. Am I going to think in this moment as I'm facing this trial that my world is ending, that everything is terrible, this is the worst thing that's happened to anybody, this is, this is awful, God's awful, life's awful, I'm an idiot, I, I, how did I end up here, something wrong with me? Am I going to be that? Or am I going to make a decision to say, hey, there's joy here because God's wanting to work in my life and that God wants to work in my life is actually a really cool thing. I was talking with a guy earlier this week who's kind of helping me process some crazy things that I think from time to time, and uh, we were sitting there just kind of processing some things that I feel like that kind of make me anxious and frustrated, and, and, it, and it just kind of dawned on me. Wait, 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 wait a second. How I feel about this situation is completely and totally up to me. And you may think, duh, right? But it's not. My circumstances don't tell me how I feel about something. I, I, just, I, I decide that. I do. And so I'll use a, um, a, a relatively small example because small examples are safer than the big examples, right? It's just safer. We'll just do that. So imagine that you're a pastor of a local church in Fayetteville, and, um, and, and, and you hang out at this McDonald's on Sunday morning before church. And to get there, you kind of come this back way, and as you're coming down this, this back way, uh, there's uh, cones in the back of your parking lot that say the parking lot's closed. Y you didn't put those cones out. You didn't, you didn't ask anyone on your staff to put those cones out. And by the looks of the cones, uh, their dark complexion, they're, they're clearly paving cones. We are now paving the parking lot. And so you, um, you, you say, okay, I guess can't get in that way. You drive around. I parked over here in this lot that's over there and used to be able to walk around. You can't anymore. <laughs> that's fine. And, and so then I drive all the way around, which is not easy to do. It's real close. You're like right there, and I can't, I, I can't get there. And you look, and then sure enough, you know, a third of that parking lot's closed off, and there's just some happy people there just, just working away, right? And um, Sunday morning's a great time. It's a great time to pay a parking lot of a church. It's perfect. So... How am I going to respond to that? There's nothing I can do about it. There's nothing I can do. It's completely and totally out of There's nothing I can do about it. How am I going to feel? What am I going to think about it? What am I going to choose in that moment? Am I going to choose the thing that I always choose? I'm going to rub my eyebrow off. Right? Am I going to choose what this... this uh, there, there's, there's, a, there's a chain thing that I do. 
Like, 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 like okay, well, the, the parking lot's closed, and that reminds me of something else that bad happened here once, and it reminds me of something else that I did once that, that made things bad, and it reminds me of this, reminds me of this, and now I'm thinking of seven or eight different things that have happened that I don't like, and they all become one thing, and then I think, what is the point of any of this? You ever make a chain? One bad thing happens, and it reminds you of seven other bad things, and suddenly life is terrible. Or, I can be like, okay, free illustration. I don't have to talk about the house that we own in Cabot this time. <laughs> That's good, good. And honestly, I have an opportunity. I have an opportunity in a very small circumstance to practice some things that I'm going to need to learn how to do when the next big trial comes. Because I promise you this, big trials are coming. Big things are still left ahead. I got a lot of life left to live, and I got some big challenges ahead of me. I could, I could list some of them for you. My wife and I, we still have all four of our parents. That is four big trials that are still to come. And those are just a small number of the ones that I can anticipate. What about the unanticipated ones? I better learn some of these things now. I need to make this decision now. And so I choose in this moment to say, this is kind of a cool opportunity God gave me to kind of think about some of the things we're processing in this message. I've been processing all this week. And I'm going, I'm, I'm going to learn this lesson. And then I'm going to do this thing that, Paul, that, that, that James says next, verse 3. I'm sorry, verse 4. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be pure, uh, pure, mature, and complete. So not only do we need to find joy in trials, as make, make a decision, we need to let the trial do its work. He says that. You need to let it. Let perseverance finish what it's trying to do. What, what, is, what does that mean? Like, how would I, how would I stop it? It's like, he asked me to, like, to don't, don't, don't try to stop the trial. I wouldn't necessarily recommend that. If the trial is sickness, you should go to the doctor. If you can, if you can get out of it, you should try to get out of it. If, if you're in a financial crisis, you should start paying off your debt. I mean, there, there's things that you should do to, to get out of the trial, at least for a lot of them. But he says, don't, don't try to stop it. Let, it. let it finish its work, which has this idea that maybe we could stop it. So we're in this trial, and, and God's trying to teach us perseverance through it. And through this perseverance, if we'll let it finish, will make us mature and complete. It says it'll make you so strong that you won't lack anything. No matter what life throws at you, if you can learn to handle a trial, God will make you mature and complete where you don't lack anything. But you've got to let it finish the work that it's trying to do. What would it look like for me to stop it? How would I, how would I stop that? I think there are a couple of ways that we do that. I mean, there's obviously more we could think of. We'll just talk about two. I, I think... One of them is, is, is just quit. I just quit. This is, this is hard. This is awful. Life is terrible, and I'm just, I'm just done. Forget it. I, qu I quit. And I wish you understand quit is different than surrender. Surrender is I trust God in this situation. God, what you're going to do, I'm going to trust you. And quit is I don't care anymore. I'm out. I'm checking out of life. I'm checking out of this circumstance. I'm just done. And so now I'm trying to shield my heart from this by just apathy, 
fear, retreat, a bad habit, an addiction. Now I'm hiding, and I just, I just quit. And now God no longer has access to my heart anymore because I'm just done. A lot of us choose that. And a lot of us choose the one that seems a little bit more Christian, which isn't to quit, uh, but to pretend. So you're going through a trial. How are you doing? Oh, I'm great. I'm blessed. The Lord is blessed, and I'm blessed, and all things are blessed. Man, I heard your mom has cancer. Oh, that. It's nothing. The Lord is in control. Again, all those things may very well be true. But there's a difference between I'm going to process the real grief and the real pain that this comes, and I'm going to choose to trust God and to pretend like trials aren't real. To pretend that nothing is bad. To pretend that bad things are good and that bad things never happen to good people. That bad things never happen to God's people. I'm going to pretend that the world is something that it's not. Somebody asks you how you're doing and you say fine. And you say it's the, the biggest lie, the most often told lie that Christians will tell each other. But I'm beginning to think about this some more. I don't think it is so much you, you ask me how I'm doing and I lie by saying I'm fine that I'm lying to you. I think really I'm lying to me because I'm trying to convince myself that something is true that isn't true. And if I say it out loud to you, maybe I'll believe it. I know I'm not fine, but if I repeat it enough out loud to all of you throughout the day, then in the end maybe I am fine, which I'm not. And we pretend. And then we're not allowing God to finish the work that He's trying to do. He is trying to finish a work in you. He wants to do something in you. He wants to give you perseverance. You think, I don't, what if I don't want perseverance? What if I, what if I just don't want it? There has to be a better way, right? Because what you're saying is, which, which is dumb, um, that trials are good. Trials are good because you learn perseverance. What do I need perseverance for? To deal with the trials. Like, well, that's dumb. I have a better way. How about you just don't have any trials, and I'll just learn how to bless God in happy times. And, and that can be, it's, like, it's, it's dumb. It doesn't make any sense. But it's an unrealistic view of the world, and I would like to say that you need wisdom, which is exactly what James says. Because if any of you lacks, lacks wisdom, you should ask God. Because ultimately, the things that he's saying here, you can say all day long that it's an act of the will, but it would be a very challenging, it's a very challenging uh, act of the will, one that you cannot do alone. And ultimately what, what you need to do is you need to turn to God, but you turn to God, not against God. And I think often in a trial, we need to make sure that we understand the difference. There's a difference between turning to God and turning against God. When you turn to God, it's like what James is saying here, you should ask God for wisdom. Because there really is a part of this that just really doesn't connect with our brain. Like it just doesn't make sense, this Trials are good because they teach me perseverance, which helps me deal with trials. It's like, that doesn't, I don't like that. I'd rather not have trials. But then for you to say that what I want is to not have trials shows that you lack wisdom because you're wanting the world to be something that it is not. This is what this world is. This world has death. This world has sickness. This world has pain. 
you will experience loss in this world. And for you to wish that this world was not that, to hope that this world could ultimately be that, shows that you lack wisdom. You should totally ask God about that. Or maybe he's like, I understand that, but I just don't know how to get from where I am now to considering it to be joy. Again, it it sounds like that there's some wisdom, some healthy kind of thinking that you lack, and James' encouragement is the same. You should ask God for that, and you should ask for it confidently, knowing that God will answer that. Don't be double-minded. That makes you seem like you're crazy. Don't be crazy. Just ask God and expect Him to do the thing that He said He'll do. Now, what James is not saying here is to ask God to remove the trial and ask that without doubting. Because there are plenty of examples all throughout Scripture of people asking God to remove a trial, and He doesn't. God doesn't ever promise that He's going to remove all the trials in your life. But he does promise that if you lack wisdom, he will give it to you, to give you the perspective you need to get through whatever trial it is that you find yourself in. So we turn to God, but we turn to God rather than turning against God, and James illustrates that too. You don't turn against God. You know, God, why are you doing this to me? You have put me in this situation where the only thing that I can do is to be angry. The only thing that I can do is to be depressed. The only thing that I can do is, is, is to give up and, and, and to treat people poorly. You've put me in this situation. God, why did you do this to me? Why did you make me so angry? Why did you do this to me? All God did was put a trial around you with the hopes of making you a better person. That's what God did. And then he offered you the way out by giving you all the wisdom that you need to have the right perspective. The sin that you're experiencing right now, where normal grief becomes devastation, that's you did that to you. The quitting, you did that. The anger, you did that. I'm offering you a way out. I'm offering you the tools that you need to navigate a life that is broken to navigate a world that is broken. And if you will turn to me, I will give you all of the wisdom that you need in order to be able to conquer this number one thing that that, that we need to be able to conquer, to be able to navigate a world full of trials and pain and loss with the hope of God through Jesus Christ in our life. And now we find ourselves in a situation. You do that? No, the, the world will come looking. If they could see somebody in the midst of difficult circumstances live a life of hope when all they know is to be despondent and to despair and to give up and to quit, and they can see someone living amongst the worst parts of life with hope, The world will be drawn. That is what our world needs. That is who we need to be. And so I encourage you, consider it joy. Choose to have a different perspective about the trials in your life. Again, it's much easier to say than it is to do in that moment. Which is why, as always, we have some time of reflection. Let's just, let's just pray about it. The ability, that if right now I feel like I don't have the ability, I don't have the perspective to even really fully understand what you're saying, pray, ask God for wisdom. He says he'll give it to you. I don't know how to have joy 
in the midst of the trial. Ask God for wisdom on how to do it, and he'll give it to you. Because the reality of it is, if we're all willing to be honest for at least just a minute, all of us in some way are experiencing some kind of trial. The degree is different. Where we are in that process is different. But we're all battling. We're always, always battling. And God is offering us a different way. A way of of hope. A way where instead of surrendering to the guilt and the shame and the anger, I'm going to choose to think that it's awesome that this happened because that means that God is continuing to work on me and I'd rather live in a world where pain has a reason and that God is working in my life to where pain means nothing and there is no God to help me. And I'm going to be joyful about that. Maybe just pray and reflect on that where you are. As always, we have our response place in the back. The prayer team would love to pray with you if needed. Um, There's prayer candles, communion, there's a cross, lots of different ways to pray. To respond, but let's just let's just pray for each other, pray for ourselves, pray for our friends, our family, that God would give us the wisdom, the perspective, to have the hope to endure the trials, to consider it joyful, that if we would persevere, that we'd be mature, lacking in nothing. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this book. Thank you for James. I thank you for his perspective, God. I just thank you that he says things way differently than I ever would. Straightforward, just in your face. Just get down to it. I thank you for that. We need that. We need someone to just shake us out of our comfort zone. To tell us like it is. God, I thank you for that. And God, I do, I I am trying to consider being thankful for the trials that you give. For the opportunities you give for us to grow, to have perseverance, to, to become mature. And God, I pray for me and I pray for all of us. That you would give us the wisdom that we need. To have that perspective in the midst of a trial. And that, God, that we would not allow any of our defense mechanisms to, to, keep, to keep the trial from doing its work. And, God, I pray all throughout that, God, that we would just keep our eyes and our hearts completely focused on you. To not, not turn against you, but to turn to you. And we thank you for your son Jesus, his death on the cross that makes this life possible. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.